This is People Like Us, a show about Alt-MBA alumni. Here's Kate Champ from Alt-MBA 23. Thank you for taking the time to chat today. You have a pretty interesting title. You're an internal culture transformation consultant. So I want to start there. How did you get that job? I think it's a pretty interesting story, but it definitely it has been an evolution over time. This is not something I knew I was destined to do forever. Um, it's actually only come about as of the last maybe two and a half years now, probably almost pushing three. Um, but if I think back and go through some of those evolutions, I can see how everything's sort of stacked on top of itself to get there or to help me get to that point. So I've always been a nerd. Um, I've always loved books and science fiction and uh, computer games. I've never really been a super outdoorsy type. I'm uh, more than happy to either curl up in bed with a book or play video games for a whole weekend. I'm that kind of person. So when I was in high school, I jumped around between a whole bunch of different interests. I was one of those kids that every time you spoke to them, they wanted to be something different and equally bizarre. So I think I went through probably from, you know, middle of high school, went through like marine biologist and uh, xenobiologist and nanotechnologist all within the space of maybe like two and a half years, which was really weird um, now that I look back on it. But really what I was doing, I think, was expressing, I'm interested in this area. And it turns out I'm interested in knowing a lot about a vast variety of different stuff. So Upon reflection, that probably should have twigged me to career direction later on, but I still sort of, you know, get that overwhelming narrative from society, which is you're going to be a thing. So you've got to get really good at being a thing and you climb the ladder for that thing. And as long as you keep getting better at being that thing, you'll always have a job and we'll give you slightly more money over time and status comes with that. And that predetermined path is there. So I remember having a great, like, end of high school interview with my um, careers advisory type person uh, at my school. And she had this room obviously sitting on either side of the desk. She had the computer on her side and behind me on the wall was like maybe 500 different pamphlets for different jobs and like degrees and stuff like that. Um, and at that point, she was going through, they do that thing where they go through your scores and look at the stuff you're interested in and try to go, oh, you're going to make a great whatever. Um, so the options that she gave me, because I did sort of ancient history and English and stuff like that, were, oh, you can be an ancient history teacher or an English teacher or a paleontologist. And I was like, mm, I don't really want to be a teacher. I think I, I think part of me recognized, even if I hadn't verbalized it at that point, that I had really bad attention to detail. Um, <laughs> I, I should not be in charge of a room full of children and get walking them through A to B. Um, I would drift off halfway through that probably. So I remember looking through the wall while she was sort of skimming through her results and coming up with more bland options. Um, not anything against teachers, just not my bag. Um, and I looked through this wall and I saw that there was a pamphlet for like uh, an information technology degree uh, that had a sort of medium-sized scholarship attached to it. And it was in Sydney, so nothing sort of too weird about it. And both of my parents worked in technology in various sort of guises at that point. So 
it was just around the time, like I remember maybe six or seven years before that, just getting our first home PC and stuff like that. I was more familiar with computers than the vast majority of people that I interacted with at the time. And I pulled this pamphlet out and I was like, what if I did this? Um, looking for an answer. And I remember her saying, oh, you're not smart enough to get that scholarship. And that was this point where like spike kicked in and I was like, I'll show you. So suddenly I was like, I'm going to be a technologist because I have to show that lady. Um, So I did and and I got the scholarship and I did the degree and I remember getting to the end of my degree and standing there at graduation thinking, well, I guess I'm a technologist now. And it was only at the end of it that it kicked in that it was like, oh, you just did this entire thing out of spite, as you do. Um, So I just sort of rolled with it as you are wont to do when you're early twenties, you sort of just like, woo, money and responsibilities. And I want to move out of home and do all that kind of thing. So I did. Um, and all of that was great. And I built my identity around being a technologist that wasn't fully technical. So I know just about enough about technology to talk to the database guys and the coders and have a really solid conversation. Um, but not enough to actually sit there and do it myself. So I made a great project manager. Uh, but I always found I did weird stuff on the sides of it. Like for one of the courses, I had to write a final paper around project management and I wrote it on the difference between masculine and feminine styles of project management and the inherent, um, uh, the inherent differences that that could bring to a different project context. So there was always a few things there that didn't quite click with your traditional project management style. That actually continued for quite a while. Um, and I guess you could say I got lazy or what it actually was, was that I discovered roller derby on the side uh, and decided to play roller derby. And that took up maybe 40 or 50 hours of my life for a good eight years. Um, so that was probably the next major evolution where work took a back seat and I became a roller derby girl. Um, and it went from, I have no idea what I'm doing. I can't skate. I'm terrified of being hit onto hard concrete to, you know, I played for Sydney's top team and I got the crap kicked out of me on a regular basis by a lot of people and did the same to them. So it was really interesting time. And the first team sport I'd ever played, I learned that true amazingness that comes with the synchronicity when you and like 10 other people are exactly and entirely on the same wavelength and stuff just occurs almost as if you are a hive mind um, and the joy that comes with that. So that was amazing. And that went for about eight years. And yeah, and during that time work pretty much took a backseat because when you're giving 50 hours a week to roller derby, um, your job becomes a thing that like, yeah, I have to do that to pay the bills in the background, but I'm not really trying hard at it. So I went through a bunch of different jobs, but they're all sort of project managey kind of, Again, relatively bland, but just get it done. Um, And I always, I didn't struggle with it, but I always thought jobs had to suck because I thought that they always had to feel like wading through treacle. Like I I did not want to sit there and write risk registers and project schedules all day, every day, and I could do it and I knew I could and I was really good at it. Um, But it just always felt hard. So I assumed that was always why people hated their jobs. And I was like, oh, more people need to find roller derby because then it all just fades into the background. But the next evolution came probably about three years ago now where 
same workplace that I'd ended up in for the last sort of, I've been there for uh, two years working as just a release manager. Um, and that was a large financial institution and I was working within their technology department. So that was interesting. The people were nice, but really roller derby was the thing. Then this moment came along where I got asked, I actually ran into someone at the pub and we started talking, worked out we both worked for the same place. They ended up having me come work for them, which was in a similar but different area of technology. And they basically just thought I was interesting and didn't actually hire me for a specific task. Um, I was a bit of a dog's body, like the two of us exist to fill gaps anywhere else and we pick up whatever we need to pick up to make it happen. So I sort of thought of us as fixes. Um, whatever senior management decides, we have no idea how to deal with this, we go fix. And about six months after I started that role, the senior leader who sort of owned that space was given the task from on high to take a look at and work out how to be more conscious about and deliberate with our culture. So we have, my organisation has maybe 50,000 people in it. Um, across the entire finance thing, and they have obviously a centralised HR department that owns culture and does a lot of top-down stuff. But what we were finding was in our technology department of 10,000 people, there wasn't, you know, they sort of operated in a bit of a bubble. There wasn't as much uptake of it as there could be. So we wanted to help get that back into line. And to do that, this senior manager decided, right, I don't necessarily want to get a large consultancy firm in every single year, pay them 500 grand, tell me the same sort of thing, and then not know what to do about it. So we're going to build the capability internally. Uh, and to do that, we hired a specialist corporate anthropologist to come in and train about 28 of us on this culture stuff. So what it is, how to work with it, um, how to really build the skill set to engage with it in a rational kind of fashion uh, and understanding of the boundaries of what you can and can't do with it. So this was very much where it was, I was right place, right time, right attitude. Um, and as out of those, I was selected as one of those 28 people, mainly because I had nothing else to do and worked for this general manager. Uh, but I was the only person out of those 28 who didn't have a day job. Everyone else was another senior manager or someone throughout the organization and they bolted this on to their existing responsibilities. So by default, I became the only person who was able to actually sit there and do all the readings and give them the TLDR versions and walk them through. You know, if the anthropologist mentioned a book in his readings, I would go buy the book, read the whole book, give them the download on it. Uh, so I could sit at my desk all day in the middle of this massive corporate technology finance environment reading books and everyone would just say, oh, okay, that's, I guess that's just, she's allowed to do that. She's special. Uh, so I was very fortunate. And I think that's how I ended up in my current sort of culture transformation consultancy role because I carved it out. Um, that general manager left for another opportunity after about, a year, the other 27 people still have the skill sets, but about 50% have left the organization over the last few years. So there was not a, there was no centralized remit anymore other than what I could create for myself. And I was stubborn about it and determined, and I made the rest of the senior leaders see value in it. So now I'm at the point where I am 
regarded as a senior consultant that's able to go talk to all these senior leaders about how to change their culture, even though technically I just started this three years ago and most of it has been me reading books and working with other consultants to polish up my skills and such. So I guess the way that I think about it is if you imagine like compared to our original ladder track of careers that we mentioned before, I've started to see myself and my career and my life as a whole really as like a set of overlapping Venn diagrams, right? And it's not particularly with the rise of automation and all that kind of thing. Sticking to one of those sort of little bubbles and having your ladder built within that bubble is no longer sufficient. The far more interesting question is what is the unique overlap of bubbles that makes up Covington as an individual and how can we find the missing puzzle piece gap somewhere in the world that is the perfect problem for Covington to solve and put Covington in the right place to solve that problem? So I've done the same with myself, which is how can I bring tech, my technology background, my anthropology and culture learnings, my design thinking bent, my facilitation skills, and my interest in ethics and science fiction and build a role around that that actually delivers value? That's a way better question to ask. Wow, that is an amazing story, and it, it sounds like a dream job to me. Yeah, it is. Um, I have a lot of I have a lot of fun with it, and I get to do a large variety of different stuff uh, because I think people have recognized over the last year or two that there's kind of no boundary to what they can ask me to do, and I'll at least have a crack at it or go learn about it and then tell them why it's not possible. So, in not defining your job title as project manager or business analyst or something like that, there's actually this whole world of possibility opened up that people seem to love engaging with because they can sit down with me in a meeting and there's no, there's no wrong answers. There's no, we can't, there's only what if. How does Alt MBA come into the picture? So Alt MBA came into the whole sort of sequence of evolution, um, partly through chance and partly through needing to really have the energy to make it up the other side of that transformational dip. So I was aware of the Alt MBA for a while, following a whole bunch of Seth's work and that kind of thing, as I'm sure many people were. Um, then I saw they started the Australian cohort, so tick, you know, <laughs> immediately 50% more interested in it because I don't have to do stuff at 2 a.m. and everything becomes a bit more realistic at that point. Um, and then I was actually, I was meant to go with my partner to Japan on a skiing holiday because it's sort of one of the best places to ski near us in Australia. Um, and we had to cancel that for work reasons and stuff. So I suddenly had a decent chunk of money that I'd set aside for that and was like, well, okay, if I can't go anywhere because work's too busy uh, and I need to be in certain places at certain times, what could I spend it on and make this a year of transformation instead? Uh, so I took that money and I spent it on two things. Uh, one was a retreat course in Northern Kyoto uh, that was all about how to do better embedded design research within remote communities throughout the world. So again, another thing where I go, how can I bolt this onto my uh, or into my Venn diagram that is me? 
so that was spending a week with a few really awesome humans and getting to understand that practice a fair bit better. And the other half of the money I spent on the old MBA. And I thought by the end of this 12-month period, I'm going to have gone through a lot and had a whole bunch of transformation time just for me because most of the time I'm too busy for that. So I made time for it. Uh, and when it comes to the way it's influenced it or why I picked that particular session this year to do it, um, it really came down to I knew the culture work was picking up steam. I knew that I would need more engagement from my organization or not so much from my organization to take it forward, but more engagement at scale to take it forward if I wanted to really build a career out of it, as opposed to just being a niche person just within my organization that did this. So I wanted that energy and that kickstart to move from, oh, this is a hobby that I do on the side that's sort of duplicating the amount of effort that I have to put into things to really transform myself and come out the other side and go, no, I am this now. And I have the confidence to say I am this and I can let go or not even let go of the past. I can integrate the past and see it as useful, but not define myself by that previous identity anymore. So that was really the role that MBA played for me. And what's next for you or what are you working on now? Uh, well, at the moment, I'm working on a few large projects within the organization. I actually have to go to New Zealand next week because they've decided they want me to understand our part of the organization that is over there and the agile transformation that they're going through at the moment from a cultural perspective, work out how to help them be as successful as possible with that culture shift and then how on earth we could possibly go through something similar here in Australia because the scale is so much bigger. They have even technology people, right? It's like 600 people in New Zealand to 10,000 over here. So there's there's quite a big difference, but they make a really interesting little pilot test group. So I'm going to go work with them for a few days. Um, I think overall what I want to do next is, or the dream, I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to get there, the dream though, is to run my own studio where I am the only employee, but I can custom build teams from specialists that I potentially have to get to take some leave from their existing jobs and deploy them almost SWAT team style to engage within organizations to rapidly diagnose problems and help those organizations understand their current cultural context from an external perspective. But I want to do that in a studio format because one of the really interesting things I picked up from this design researcher was he's, he's built a similar model and it allows him to put in place a really interesting ethical framework where the participant always comes first, then his team, then the client because he's not got shareholders, he's not beholden to them. He goes in and does the most difficult work in the strangest places um, to get the absolute best results because that's how they're built and how they're specialised. I guess the right person for the right job anywhere in the world. I want to be able to do that, but within organisations, parachute in the right people to help get rapid reflections on their own culture uh, and to keep the participants always as number one. So there's no pandering, you know, large consultancy firm style as to like, oh, here's the like 50 great things about your team and your culture. It's like, no, if it's bad, I'm going to tell you to your face that it's bad and it's not working. I want to build something where I have that reputation and that ability to do that and utilize people in a way, that Venn diagram way, where I can bring them in based on their holistically who they are, the skill set and the experiences they have rather than just, 
I need a project manager for a month. So that's the dream. I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to get there. I think there'll be a few more steps along the way to keep polishing some of the frameworks that I've built and my own understandings and experiences, but that's where I'm aiming for. Well, if history is any indicator, I have no doubt that you'll, you'll figure it out and, and you'll be able to, to realize that dream. <laughs> There'll be some random twists and turns along the way. Trust me. Always. There's always random twists and turns. To close the show, I have one question that I ask every person that I talk to. One of the goals of the show is to help Alt-MBA alumni connect. So how would you fill in the blank? Reach out if blank. Reach out if you think you are more than your job title. Thanks, Kate, for being part of this community and for all the amazing work that you are doing. Happy to be a part of it. I love this community. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes for ways to contact Kate.